following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. to Box Office 30's review of Wayne's World. Party on, Michael! <laughs> Party on, Pete! <laughs> How you doing, sir? Well, not bad, <laughs> I guess you could say. Yeah, here's a, here's a secret, and maybe a lot of this will get cut out in, in editing, uh, depending on how that even goes in the next few days. Mike and I are both, like, varying degrees of sick right now. Not COVID. Yeah. Not COVID. I promise you that. Yeah, it's- so we've been, like, pushing this and pushing this, trying to see if we were, like, both better, and it's not getting any better. So we're, do- we're doing this thing. We want to yep. get we're, it in the books. We're here for you people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're we're doing this for you. Um, but it's a good uh, good movie and good month. Uh, you know, as far as like if you're feeling down, at least it's a it's a upper movie. <laughs> so I gotta start something off with this, right? So while watching this movie, I was laughing out loud, and <laughs> I was thinking about it, and I'm like, a lot of different movies from the 90s and older comedies in particular have a tremendous rewatchability modern day comedies there's maybe a handful of them that i'd say sure i could sit down and watch a few times but this is a movie that i'm like i laugh so hard i'm like you know what I can't wait to watch the sequel and then watch this one again before I watch the sequel. So, so I actually did watch Wayne's World 2. I wasn't planning on doing so, but um, for those out there who um, haven't seen Wayne's World and um, would like to, in a bizarre twist for our podcast at least, this was very easy to find yeah. streaming online in several different sources. But one of the easiest and best ones I found is you can watch both Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2 totally for free on YouTube right now. I also found them on IMDb TV, which is owned yeah. by Amazon. Yeah, it's- they're in a couple different spots, so um, that made it certainly a little bit easier to uh, to get into and watch than some of our other films. But no, I 100% agree with you. Um, it's funny having rewatched this after quite a few years where I hadn't seen it again Um and especially after we were watching things like Hot Shots, um, you know, in the last year where I was like, wow, it's kind of got that same sort of like 
zany vibe to it with like a bit more structured you know like like a little less on like the like gag a second sort of thing but like you know yeah still still kind of that like funny weird you know what's funny about this movie in particular is it's very meta and it's very self-aware of itself which i which i love but of i would say the saturday night live spin-off movies other than maybe blues brothers which is like a, a whole other animal this is probably the best snl movie that came out of there you know yeah certainly of its time um it's funny i know i mentioned it in like some of the um fun facts last time but um really i think i missed that there was nothing in between but like blues brothers was the first feature-length film that came out of an snl skit yeah. And this was the second. And that's like a pretty big, you know, period of time between those two. Like at least I want to say like 10 to 12 years. Yeah, um, for sure. If not more. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's quite something. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, I, I think a lot of what we sort of said in, in the um, recall last time still stuck, at least for me, for this. Um, and again, I think what, what works still in my mind so well about this is just – the likability of the characters and who yeah. they are and kind of how they um, play. But uh, you did the uh, notes for the month. <laughs> it was a nice little break away from that again for me. So um, maybe we'll uh, dive in on, on your uh, stuff and we'll work sure. our way through. <laughs> so, so this is, as usual, a bit of stream of consciousness for me when I'm <laughs> writing this. But what I found very interesting, the movie opens not on Wayne and Garth, but on Rob Lowe's character, and they tune into it on the television. But what's funny about this movie is there's so much like blatant and inadvertent product placement in the movie right off the bat. Like we see the Chia Pet, the clapper on the commercials, and then we're <laughs> flipping through the channels, and then boom, we land on Wayne's world. And this, you know random girl that's in bed with Rob Lowe was like, oh, I love these guys. They're hilarious. And he's like, I don't get it because he's this, you know, super uptight, you know, businessman, producer of some sort. I don't really know what he does exactly. Um, but it's just funny to see his character because his character is so much, in in a lot of ways, like – the same character in Tommy Boy where he's just like this, you know, despicable person that's just trying to manipulate people. And I don't know. It's just really funny that the movie opened on them. We see Wayne's World and then we kind of go from the television to them actually in the studio and the whole thing in, the, in Wayne's basement. I found that really a well thought out opening. So here's some funny things about rob Lowe that i dug up at this point and and again this was something that i had a vague recollection of but i didn't realize how closely um tied it was to this that they were trying to find a character to play or excuse me an actor to play this character and um it, they wanted to go after uh rob Lowe because um mike myers um was a fan of his from some of the times that he'd appeared on snl and he just thought he was a funny guy but normally at this point in time, you wouldn't necessarily be able to get somebody that big a name. But 
he had just been through his whole sex tape scandal and he basically was like unhirable at the time. Um, so no like that's, that's kind of part of the reason that they got him in for this. And then I think another kind of funny thing, and it's really subtle, um, but they um, tried to coach him to sort of have some more of the mannerisms and sort of the, the way of speaking of Lauren Michaels. And if you sit and start to really listen to it, you're like, Oh yeah, it kind of is. Like he definitely puts like a little bit of that into his voice and things at times, so it's very funny. <laughs> See, I thought and I'm gonna jump way ahead. I thought somebody else was there to portray Lauren Michaels, but I could I could see. I'm sure that they don't mind littering him, you know, throughout. I mean, obviously, like you know, Doctor Evil is Lauren Michaels, yeah. you know, so it's yeah, it's kind of a funny thing. So the first thing I thought is when we get into Wayne's basement, and we see the guys and the, and you know his buddies that are the cinematographers and the, whatever. My first thought is. Where did they get the money to buy all this gear <laughs> and the broadcast truck with the satellite in the driveway? Like, how did they do that? Yeah. <laughs> it's not explained. That's the only plot hole I found in the movie that I was just like, eh, I wish we could explain that. But okay. Anyway, I digress. But the, the first thing that I remember is they had the guest on that did the suck cut. Yeah. And I remembered that, and I laughed so hard. I was like, oh, my God, the suck cut. <laughs> and it looked like this dirt devil vacuum with a hose on it. And it's just – Well, way- it's funny. Like, again, and I don't mean to interrupt, but, like, I think something that needs to be said about this movie that's going to be really important and it's going to come up multiple times as we go through all this. And it really even starts off with you talking about the commercials that they're looking at, the Chia Pet, the Clapper, et cetera. This movie is a mirror held up to that time period of the like, you know, late, you know, 80s, early 90s, sort of all the stuff that's going on during that time. But it then also like magnificently sets a trend for what the 90s become, not only like culturally, but like as far as like how like other comedy movies follow in its heels and everything like that. So it's really weird because it's like it's constantly like you know, showing us like, here's a nineties thing. Here's a nineties thing. And it's like, it's very funny watching it now. Cause it's like a smorgasbord of like all this early stuff. And of course, you know, they called that one, the suck cut, but I do recall my older brother going out and buying the Floby, which was yes. the real life version of that thing. And believe me, I had a few haircuts with the Floby, um, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's really, really funny that like it, it, you know, mimics so many of these funny little, like just things going on at the time. Um, like you said, in such a meta way. And that's where I started feeling like there's definitely like little segues that, that felt so much in the comedy vein of hot shots and things like that, where it's just like, so like, just for the sake of the goof, they stick it in, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very funny, but yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I just remember like them saying, it sucks as it cuts. It certainly does suck. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just, I'm saying to myself, I'm like, Dana Carvey rules because he is so good in this role and just his mannerisms and everything. It's just Garth for me in this movie is the most interesting character in the whole story. And I'm just like, how did Dana Carvey not have a bigger career in Hollywood? (laughs) Well, so let's talk about Dana Carvey for a minute because I think it is um, funny and interesting, like to your point. And 
another thing to know about Wayne's World and about the two of them at this time is that at, when Mike Myers gets to SNL, Dana Carvey's already on the show and he's a big name. Yeah. Mike Myers is like an unknown guy from Canada. It's like, you know, Keenan Thompson versus whoever the new featured player is this season sort of deal, you know? Um, and it's a part of why we ultimately don't get Wayne's World 3 and why there's a big falling out where basically Mike Myers and Dana Carvey go on after this like second movie essentially to like not even talk to each other for like 20 years. And it has, wow. to, it's, it's, you know, is partially, I think to do with that a little bit like how, like, you know, essentially Mike Myers then outshines him, you know, I think even in, in the Wayne and, and Garth dynamic in some cases, despite like you say, how like amazing, like the reality is, and I was going to ask you this at the end, but like, as I was rewatching, I'm like, wow, like Garth is really actually the best character <laughs> throughout this whole thing. Bar none. hundred percent. Um, again, the funny part, going back to Lauren Michaels again, is that apparently um, that shtick, like the Lauren Michaels shtick that becomes Dr. Evil was a Dana Carvey thing. And Mike Myers essentially kind of stole it <laughs> and did Austin Powers with that and, you know, went on to huge, you know, fame and a lot of money and all this sort of thing from those movies and that was also a big wedge between the two of them. So it, it, it's kind of a bummer because it's like the two of them, you know, especially in these characters come off as like the tightest of tight friends. And yet at the same time, it's like, wow, there was like a real division actually between the two for a lot of the reasons that that probably we'll get into with like you know, the differences between these characters. Yeah, it's that's crazy. I, I didn't realize all that. Cause I, I know they're friends today, um, but. I didn't know that back then. Yeah, it took them a long time to reconcile. It's just, you know, there's just so many funny lines in this movie. Like, like, like Wayne is trying to, like, calm Garth down. He's like, you're in a forest with Heather Locklear. And, <laughs> and Heather Locklear becomes so huge at this time from, like, Melrose Place and all those things. And again, it's one of those other 90s tropes that just keeps coming up. And, and they constantly break the fourth wall, but... In a way that is is both engaging because it's not just Wayne breaking it; it's Garth. Um, Ed O'Neill breaks it in the diner later <laughs> on, which is just when he pops up. I'm like, I literally just said, "Holy, it's it's Ed O'Neill." He's <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I had the exact same reaction. <laughs> and you know, it just—I don't know. There's just so many things that happen in this movie. Like, I also didn't realize that. The Bohemian Rhapsody part, which is so significant to the movie, happens so early in the film, too. Yo, oh, yo, for sure. Like, that's, like, one of the most, I think, iconic scenes in the film and one that, like, for so many reasons, like, echoes in, like, the annals of time afterwards. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think probably even before I saw this movie, I had somehow, like, seen that scene and, you know, like it just became like a big thing, like, you know, like that that song blew up, you know, like Queen, like wasn't a big deal, uh, like in the US anymore by that point, it, like completely reinvigorated them, put them back on the billboard charts in the UK yeah. with, with the resurgence of that. Um, and they wanted, I think, an ACDC um, or something or other song uh, at that point. And they like you said, they fought for it. But what's also funny about it. Um, and again, like I was finding all these great facts about uh, the behind the scenes of this, but um, they did a ton of takes on that scene. 
And Mike Myers didn't even like the scene. He thought it wasn't funny, thought it wasn't going to work. And actually, this becomes like a repeating thing. There's quite a few scenes that are like sort of memorable moments where he thought it wasn't going to work or wasn't like good. And then they managed to stick, you know, stick with it. And it became like these kind of big parts of the movie. But I guess one of the things is that they had to redo that scene so many times that like both him and Dana Carvey, like their necks were like killing them from doing the the thing that they just didn't want to do it anymore. And I guess he almost even threatened to walk off the movie, like with, with this scene. Really? They finally got it in. Yeah. He has, um, I think I said it last week and I've unfortunately forgotten her name. Um, I think it's Stephanie Spheris or something Spheris. I'm forgetting her first name, maybe uh, who was the director of this. Like I said, you know, she was like a documentarian, um, and she got picked up because of her kind of like heavy metal documentaries to sort of do this movie. Um, but there was definitely creative differences between her and Mike Myers. So he ultimately doesn't bring her back for Wayne's world too, but, um, they butt heads several more times, but I'll bring them up as we get to them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you did extra research. Cause I did not. I just, well, I just watched it, took notes this time. <laughs> I feel like it's my thing. <laughs> I feel like if I don't show up with some fun facts that I've failed. <laughs> <laughs> now, as soon as we finish the Bohemian Rhapsody part, we stop at the guitar store. And this is basically one of Wayne's main motivations in the whole movie is getting this particular guitar, which we find out later what it is. But it's really part of his driving force for trying to make money is to buy this guitar and he's like you know he, he even says you know in a very meta sort of way like if i he's like will i ever make money on wayne's world yeah and monkeys might fly out my butt like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but ultimately his motivation is if he gets money he'll buy this guitar and his life will change because of this guitar it's funny. I was saying to Ange when they have that scene, I was like, gosh, you know, he's like really like obsessed with this guitar because I forgot. Well, I mean, I think I mentioned it in, in my um, recollection, but I think I had thought that for some reason Garth was the one that wanted the guitar. I kind of misremembered. Um, but I was like, gosh, he like really wants this like one specific guitar. I wonder why it's such like a big thing for him. Like so I looked up the guitar. It? <laughs> it is. It's a 64 Stratocaster. And apparently what makes this particular guitar unique is it because it shares a lot of so like funny enough, like they like the article I was reading says that like Cassandra later on in the movie when he brings her back to actually buy it points out a bunch of things, but they're all kind of like redundant things because they're like all features of like those guitars that time. Mm -hmm. But um, apparently the color of this and I think one or two other things make it really unique and that um, ultimately you know, and again, I'm skipping ahead too, but you know, they obviously, they get their $5,000 to, to make the show each. And so if you presume that he spends a maximum of $5,000 on this guitar, he actually got it for a really good price because right now, if you were to find one of these guitars, it costs you over $32,000. Wow. So yeah. So it's like they, they were saying, of course, there's a time difference, but even then it would have been a good price and a good investment. That's cool. Yeah. And it's a beautiful guitar. I'm not going to lie. Um, so we get to the diner now and we find that Garth is in love with the waitress who I thought it was Kim Basinger, but that's in the sequel that he's, yes. uh, and, um, I realized we had a few things like that, that we kind of thought were in this, that were in the sequel, like the, um, 
uh, Thelma and Louise ending. That's definitely yes! in the sequel. I was like, you know? oh, <laughs> man, I was like, oh, I thought it was this one. I think I also th- remembered there being more yes. endings, but but there was only like the two or three. So yeah, I digress. Are, we'll get yeah. to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> so we, find, we meet uh, Stacy, Wayne's ex-girlfriend, and she gives him a gift that you mentioned last week, gave him a gun rack, and he's like, I don't even own a gun, let alone multiple guns. <laughs> he goes, are you mental? <laughs> I love the mental thing. I had forgotten about that. It's so great. All right, so I got more for her now. I'm going through these fun facts here at a rapid fire pace. Good. Um, her character is based off of his actual like real ex-wife? ex-girlfriend. Oh, really? Who um, I guess was giving him a lot of grief about like how much time he was spending doing comedy and like she kind of didn't get it and everything like this. And he was breaking up with her and like as like one last stab sort of thing at trying to keep the relationship going, she bought him a gun rack because she's like, oh, he'll, he'll think this is funny because he doesn't own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire gun rack. Um, and I guess in real life, he's just like, what the hell? <laughs> like, so like, but like he portrayed the character and like, you know, like you, you, we have the scene later too, where she like, you know, smashes into the car and oh. takes like the tumble and all this, um, and the psycho hose beast and you know all this sort of thing, which again, he wanted to cut that scene, uh, as well. And that ended up getting so many laughs in screenings that they ended up keeping it. So it is, pretty yeah. Funny. Lara Flynn Boyle, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she was great in it. She's really, really fun in it. Hi, Wayne. <laughs> and and then next up, we get to this like heavy metal club. And who's at the door? Our second cameo in this movie <laughs> of Meatloaf. And yeah, I, like, I had forgot he was in this. I forgot too. And I was like, oh, Meatloaf. All right, me. I was heartbroken when I saw him. But I was like, oh, man, I love Meatloaf. He has so many funny cameo things like this like he was uh the bus driver in um uh spice world was he like, really yeah like <laughs> i don't ask me why i know that but like yeah like he's, he's gonna get another driving them around on their on their tour like in spice world it's a weird weird fact <laughs> uh, let's just say i had a real big crush on uh posh spice <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. I digress. Let's get us back on track. So we get to this heavy metal bar called the Gasworks, and Garth kind of bumps into this giant person and gets thrown. And then Garth does the first of several things where <laughs> I said he's the smartest person in this movie and probably the most interesting. He goes to the trunk of his car and pulls out some sort of Batman-esque <laughs> utility belt with, like, tasers and all these things, and he just goes in. you think this, like, timid little nerdy guy, but he comes and just tases this guy, like, out of nowhere, and you're like, wow, Garth is someone not to mess with, clearly. Yeah, so Garth is based on Dana Carvey's brother in real life, who apparently talks exactly like Garth, that same sort of, like, oh, okay, I think I'll go do that now. Like that same kind of like mannerism. <laughs> and then um, is also like super mechanically inclined. Like even as a little kid was like uh-huh. building gadgets and fixing things. So like Garth is basically based right around his real life brother. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, 
So, but I do love Wade, his gadgets throughout. <laughs> oh man, there's so many. So Wayne catches a glimpse of Cassandra, played by Tia Carrera, and instantly falls in love with this like rock goddess. And not only is she an awesome like musician, but she's also badass. Where she just like kicks the crap out of somebody <laughs> that like has a hit on her immediately, and it's just so great. And, and Wayne kind of flirts with her and says, you know, can I see you again? Yada, yada, yada. And she sort of says, like, yeah, sort of. We'll see. Anyway. I really like her. And I really like her character. I do, too. Like, there's, like, so many different little beats. Like, everybody refers to him as Wayne, but she calls him Campbell. Yep. You know, and, like, there's just, like, it's, it's – I have to give her a lot of credit. Um, and I, it's interesting, too. Like, she was up – she was basically, like – offered a role on Baywatch, which at this point is like biggest deal show in the world. Yeah. Um, and she turned it down to do this movie, which is like crazy because yeah. there was no expectation that this movie was going to do anything. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and uh, she was sort of like crediting uh, Mike Myers with having written in specifically like an Asian woman in this role. Yeah. Um rather than just like kind of just like a regular blonde or whatever that would have normally filled in the role. So I thought that was also kind of cool, but like, I can't picture this, uh, this movie without her. She's such a no. integral part of it with, with the rest of them. Totally. She's so unique and so perfect for this role and this part. And, and I, I love it. So we, we leave the, the club now or the, the metal bar and we're back in the car and we get another literal, Pulled from the 90s trope, <laughs> they roll up against this fancy car, they roll down the window, and they go, pardon me, but do you have any gray poupon? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I died. I was like, oh my god, I forgot they did that. It's so good. It's funny that that, that gag has been done, like, several times, too, because, like, all, like, commercial history, like, I guess, like, that's kind of in there, but I feel like that commercial became bigger than it was when it starts getting imitated in, yeah. in spots like this, you know? <laughs> For sure. It was, it By was the crazy. way, I also, uh, I, this is like getting a little meta on ourselves, but, you know, Mike and I, like I said, we always take notes on these things, and I like that the spelling of it in the note that you have here is poop on. <laughs> it, is, it is poop on. That's how I spelt it because I was typing quickly on my iPad. What's great is like I put it in Google Docs and it has like a bright red underline under it. So it's just like it's like even more emphasized on the page. <laughs> That's funny. So Wayne is now infatuated with Cassandra and he decides to start learning Cantonese to speak to her, which – I love this. Like, this is such a unique thing. You you wouldn't expect this from this, like, weird, goofy rock dude. But he's very, very deep in comparison to just being this surface-level dum-dum that you might see on SNL. They try to really make the characters of both him and Garth much deeper and flushed out than you would see them on SNL. I'm going to blow your mind even further. Cassandra and Wayne and um, what's his face? <laughs> Rob Lowe's character. I can't think of his name. All at different times speak Cantonese during yeah. the course of this film. Yeah. Rob Lowe and Cassandra don't know Cantonese. Mike Myers knows Cantonese. Really? <laughs> Which is why he wrote 
this in because he's like, basically, I knew Cantonese and I wanted like somewhere that I could speak some of it. (laughs) (laughs) So like, it's like doubly your point, like that you would never expect like goofy, funny guy, Mike Myers, Canadian, you know, goofball to like apparently know Cantonese too. Yeah. (laughs) Not what I would have expected. Wow. Interesting. That's cool. Who who knew? Go figure. (laughs) Um, So basically they're at like a body shop now. I forget why they're even there. Why did they have to go there for? I don't recall. But they go to a body shop to see somebody and Garth is playing with, you know, a, oh, the guy um, the guy that they picked up off the bench, Steve, I think his name is, yeah. in the beginning works there. And okay. they need something from him, I think. I forget. Yeah, I forget what they need. Maybe that was like to get into some particular club or whatever. I'm not really sure exactly. I, I forget. But um, Garth is playing with, you know, basically an electric, you know, impact gun. Or, 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 you know, an air compressor impact gun. And he's just kind of messing around with it. But it's so powerful that <laughs> he is holding the trigger and he just grazes across some other car and just totally screws <laughs> this car. And he looks at it like, whoop, 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 and he just puts it down. It was so funny because it just, even though I know it was written in probably and staged, but it was just so funny. And, and Dana Carvey's reaction to it or expression was just, genuine and it really made me laugh yeah (laughs) so now we get to rob lowe who goes and seeks these guys out he's researched the show he's spoken to his other people he's spoken to this like um arcade owner to sponsor the show which by the way i always forget that that guy is bill murray's brother is he really? Yes, yeah. The, the guy who plays um, the head of the arcade is Bill Murray's real life brother. <laughs> For real? Wow. I For no really idea real. About that. <laughs> That's interesting. So, Rob Lowe now offers each Wayne and Garth $5,000, like as a signing bonus, at some sort of like, I don't know, Hawaiian bar of some sort, because Garth gets this giant you know, blue Polynesian looking beverage <laughs> and they just sight unseen and, and Wayne's just sort of like skimming through the country. Looks great. Looks great. Great sign. And they just sign. Well, I think the dumb part too, is it's not even that it's a signing bonus. Like that's what they're getting paid for the ownership of their show. Yeah. So like for their show, the rights to it forever, they each got $5,000, which is like nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's so funny. Like, I, it's like you were saying before, they got all this like expensive equipment. They would know what this stuff costs. And then they, they're like, 5000 I got $5,000. <laughs> like, they're just like, that's the end of it. Like, all right. <laughs> but again, in this moment, in this scene, Garth breaks the fourth wall, drops under the table, and references the Twilight Zone in relation to Rob Lowe. And it's just, it's, I don't know. There's just so many of these little interesting, you know, breaking of the fourth wall moments in this movie that they play it in a very fun way, different from other movies. Well, I love all of Dana Carvey's ones too, because like all the Wayne ones, like there's no hesitation. He just starts like talking to you, but like Dana Carvey's ones are like, like, come over here. I I, I dropped my pen. You know, (laughs) he's just like, like trying to get you to come down with him or whatever. It's very funny. It's just like, 
Like even the way that their characters act on a normal basis translates into how they approach the yeah. audience via the fourth wall. So it's just kind of a cool way of doing that. It is. So now they go see Cassandra again, and it it appears as if Wayne almost levitated to the stage to see her. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, oftentimes throughout this movie, you know, Garth is portrayed as he's this weak, wimpy guy, but he's really a bit of a psycho. <laughs> he's kind of psychotic in a way. And he just does crazy things. And I just found that so interesting that he's just so much deeper than what they ever did on SNL. The reason why I keep bringing this up is these were well-established popular characters that we saw on Saturday night live for years leading up to this movie. And they still figured out a way to make them deeper and, and more. Yeah, well, it's true. And the funny thing is, like, I saw another little thing where Dana Carvey was talking about it, that, like, for them, it was really difficult because he's like, think about what Wayne's World was on SNL. It's the two of us sitting on a couch. And, like, you know, we have our little bits and gags that we're doing there. But he's like, we never got up and move or do anything. Yeah. So he's like, even, like, when it comes to, like, um, I, I forget body what language. scene it is. But, like, like, the scene where, like, they go walking across the parking lot and they're kind of, like, really strutting. Yep. Like, they had to, like, talk about that. They're like, how does Wayne and Garth walk? Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, what, what, like, so we're just going to portray ourselves as, like, God's gift to man and, like, you know, like, yeah. real ladies, man, or whatever. I, it's just very funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. So now Wayne goes to the roof of this club with Cassandra. They start speaking Cantonese. But the best part about this whole thing is that as they're speaking Cantonese, the subtitles are trying to catch up to it, and they're just, like, waiting, waiting. Yeah. And the <laughs> subtitles just going across. It's really, really funny. It's and, funny. They riffed on that, Stacey too. Re- yeah, they riffed on that, too, in the second movie, which I had forgot about, like, when she meets his, um, when he meets uh, Cassandra's father, where, like, it's like, oh, I want to speak to you in your native tongue, but let's do it with subtitles. And so, like, it's like the, it's like the same thing. And it's just like it's always like riffing on like that, like cheesy, like terrible dubs of of like kung fu movies and things like that, or, or like Godzilla films. Or exactly, like that, yeah. so random. So Stacy reappears again with some random guy, and she's like making out with him in the in the background behind Wayne, and like trying to make Wayne jealous. But Wayne's aware that he's there. She's there and sort of like kind of ignores her. And then, you know, she falls through the ceiling of this club. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot about that. I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot that happened. It was just so funny because her character has such small parts, but they're just such physical things that happen that are just. Yeah, no, like, I don't know how she's like not dead by the end of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So now we get to the scene where Wayne and Garth are at the airport or at least the runway, on the roof, the hood of the car. I thought they were at this hood so many more times in this movie than they actually are. It's the sequel they're at it a couple times, right? Um, I think they do it maybe only once in that as well. Yeah. Really? I just, the scene is so quick. But, like, Garth is whistling to, like, Star Trek, and, you know, and, and then the planes fly over, and it just, it was just... I, I love those scenes because they're just so – they feel like genuine. Like these are just two best friends hanging out. This is their like thing they do together outside of their show and whatever. And they just sit under planes as they fly over their heads <laughs> and scream. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what's I'm trying to think now if they did have this twice, because they have the one where they're goofing around with each other, but they also have the one where they're fighting. Um, And and then like the plane comes over and like, you can't hear them yelling at each other. And like, they, they end up kind of going their separate ways, but I can't remember if it's all the same scene or, or what that's the only part I'm getting a little fishy on. I think it was later because the next scene we have is them doing the rehearsal at the TV studio. And they're all like sort of freaked out that like, Wayne's basement is in a TV studio. Yeah. Like, How do they do this? It's 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 like your basement, but but not. <laughs> it's just it's- the ironic thing for me, and I never found any info on this, and I was trying to find it. Is I was curious because obviously Wayne's basement is a set. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even when they're in it later, if it was literally this set, <laughs> like like if they just like you know like zoomed out on like an actual sound stage of where yeah. they had the, the thing actually set up, which it, would be very funny. It would make a lot of sense if you ask me, but um, they're doing this like blue screen, green screen thing. And like talking about like glamorous places and they get to, and this part made me laugh. It's like get whisked away to Delaware. And they're like, hi, I'm in Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> That made me laugh. So now we get to the hockey scene. And the hockey scenes are some of my favorites in the movie because every kid who played street hockey after this movie did the car, game on, (laughs) game off, car. And I love the fact that neither of them can skate and they're just running around the street because I couldn't skate either. And I was like, I'm like them. <laughs> I was like them back then. And that makes me so happy because it cracked me up. And again, we see Stacy again. Hi, Wayne. On yeah. a bicycle. Flies over the hood of a car. And she's already in a neck brace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she gets injured again. And I'm just like, I'm just so enamored by that character that I want to know more about that character for some reason. So I don't know. It just made me, made me laugh. So now we get to another scene with Cassandra and she's doing uh Hey Mickey. And was she singing with Wayne? I forget. Wayne, exactly. Wayne's singing it. Oh, right. And right, then right. she kind of joins in with him, yes, but he was right. sort of saying that it was like an earwig uh, that he had from, from like that morning or something like that right yeah and so they get to the guitar shop and they see what he calls excalibur the stratocaster and they have this moment where he starts to play the guitar and he's playing stairway to heaven and the guy that works at the guitar store says points at a sign that says no stairway and i never understood why (laughs) no stairway to heaven why so this is a legit thing and actually if you go to a bunch of guitar stores you'll very often find the no stairway um or like no thunderstruck like there's there's like the i forget how many there are but there's something like like three or four or five forbidden riffs that like you're not supposed to play at a guitar store um because it's inevitably like the first thing that anybody just starts like playing like on the guitar. So they're sick and tired of hearing about it over and over. And actually oh. to the point 
like in the UK, like in like the 60s and 70s, there were certain songs like this that if you started playing them, they would either kick you out of the store or like fine you if you started to play it. So it's like it's like maintained like a uh, long ongoing thing. And the funny part is you can actually look uh, on YouTube like there's a couple different people out there that are like really cool like guitar players that like as like a joke, they'll go into a guitar store I'd be like, I played the forbidden riff and like the people will come up to them and be like, no, 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 no. You need to stop. So it's still legitimately a thing in real life. <laughs> Weird. I had no idea. I'm just like, what's wrong with stairway? Is it because it's so long? They don't people just jamming out for that long. I, I yeah. One I, of the forbidden riffs. <laughs> like saying Macbeth, if you're a, you know, a, a playwright or whatever. Exactly. Um, so now we get Garth jamming out on the drums. And I'm pretty sure Dana Carvey actually knows how to play the drums. I know he plays the piano. He plays several different instruments in real life. But, like, you know, what's weird about this is Wayne and Cassandra were in the car by themselves. And Garth just sort of manifests <laughs> in the place and starts playing drums and, like, goes into this fantasy world of playing the drums and jamming out. And I just was like, where did that come from? How did that happen? <laughs> so random so yeah maybe know. he met them there yeah I guess so. that is legitimately him playing that that uh, drum set and uh, we get to a scene where we're talking about like sponsorship and how wayne doesn't really care about you know the arcade guy and then he's as he goes i don't care about sponsors as he opens up a pizza hut box and a doritos bag yeah he's like basically he, talking about how he doesn't want to sell out yeah <laughs> He's pulling out Reeboks and he and he pulls out a you know a, a Pepsi. Well, the Reebok one's so fabulous because they just cut to a shot of Garth and he's like laying, like lounging, like with just like head to toe Reebok. Reebok yes. stuff. like he's got like the Reebok pumps on. Yes. like he's got like, like all like this tracksuit. Like, yeah, and like a hat with like the sweatband under it. Like it's like yes. the most ridiculous outfit. It's so funny, <laughs> and oh man so good and then we get to the part where it's like we're back at the diner again and garth is staring at this waitress and he's like oh i'm gonna hurl and then he's like no if, if you if you blow chugs and she comes back i say hurl <laughs> something like that yeah no, yeah it's it's uh if you know I, I, he's like all like worried about if he blows chunks in front of me he's like I say blow chunks. If she comes back, you know she's the one. But if she goes, it was never meant to be. (laughs) Something like that. And then he starts, like, lip syncing to Foxy Lady. And they must have paid a fortune to get the rights for so many of the songs in this movie that they played throughout the movie. Because, you know, they almost do, like, a good half of the song that he's singing Foxy Lady in the the diner. And it's just so funny because he's like acting it out and he's almost like pretending that he's Jimi Hendrix in a way. It's so interesting. It's funny too that you mentioned that because I can remember owning the Wayne's World album at the time, which was like a really good album. Like yeah. it's packed full of all this stuff. So yeah. <laughs> and I just kept saying to myself, wow, Dana Carvey is such an amazing comedian and physical comic that it just it, it just blew my mind at how he could do so many different things within this Garth character that he kind of makes makes it all part of this character that you believe 
Garth is all these different things, and it's just interesting to me. It is a bummer, you know. Like I know he goes on to do like a couple other things, but like like one of the ones that comes to my mind is like that Master of Disguise movie, and that just bombed, bombed, yeah. bombed. And it's like it's just weird because like I think he so shines in a particular setting, and I think Garth is one of these characters, but like a lot of his other comedy doesn't a hundred percent lend itself to movies like like yeah the featured film sort of format you know what i mean like church lady is one of my like all-time favorite snl things ever but like i couldn't imagine there being like a church lady movie you know what i mean so it's it's tricky what i find so interesting is like you know take somebody like adam sandler who has all these other random buddies of his that just play little bit parts in his movies like there was nothing that Dana Carvey could have done in any Adam Sandler movie that would have yeah. popped up. I just don't get it. And then we get to this uh, this scene where Wayne and Cassandra are. I guess they're in her, you know, loft or whatever. Yeah, it's her place. Yeah. And he's like, "Will you still love me?" You know, and he's asking all these like random weird questions, and she's like, "Yeah, of course, of course." <laughs> and he starts dancing around in in her like his underwear sort of hiked up and puts her bra on as she's like on a call trying to get a record deal and it's just it's so creepy yet funny and hilarious and awkward and uncomfortable but it just makes you laugh because you believe that wayne would do this sort of thing and that she would personally find it hilarious and love it and, and it's probably not surprising, but all of that is improv. Like, oh, I, like I'm nobody, sure. Even like in the crew knew that he was going to do that. So like she was sort of saying that like it was like impossible, like that, like they kept like filming that and that the whole crew was like behind the scenes, like trying to like hold in laughs because they were all like dying. <laughs> it's like humping the mummy. Like it's yeah. just like all this ridiculous stuff. Another little thing that I was from that scene that I always loved as a kid and, you know, like probably at the age I saw it, like, I don't know, maybe I had like an understanding of where they were at in that scene. But I always liked the camera one, camera two, camera yes. one, camera two with like the eyes closing and opening back and forth. That was always great, too. I, I, I still like jokingly play that game with like my kids, like like camera one. Camera, and like I'm like looking at them and teasing them. And then they had this funny moment where it, like jumps on top of her and they just, you know, flash and on screen gratuitous sex scene gratuitous sex scene <laughs> and he turns around he goes all right <laughs> <laughs> so good so good and then so while cassandra's going to film her music video uh, rob lowe's character gives wayne and garth backstage passes to see alice cooper as a way to like get them away so he can sort of like woo cassandra away from wayne and we have this entire amazing gigantic set piece and sequence with alice cooper at the concert they go backstage they're waving their bands around <laughs> and and they and they go into his dressing room or you know the green room or whatever and they see him and they do the whole we're not worthy we're not worthy and I still love that scene so much. It cracks me up. Yeah, it's funny too. They did repeat that with Aerosmith in in Wayne's World too as well. Yes. Fun fact about Alice Cooper. Um, he thought that he was just going to be doing the musical scene. He didn't realize there was going to be that whole other scene where he's like talking to them. And he gives like that whole like lecture on like yeah. history. 
Um, That that lecture is just so – it's so weird, but it's so funny (laughs) at the same time. Well, they hand him that monologue in the script on the day of when he shows up. Really? So he had to like memorize and do that then. But turns out he's like really, really into history. Mm -hmm. So like it wasn't actually hard for him to discuss like all the stuff that was in that. Like it's actually stuff he already knew about, which is again doubly hilarious because the joke is that this like – like weird, like sex god guy would like <laughs> would like you know have this like well actually it reminds me of like you know like like actually he like knew all of it so it's like really really funny yeah man that's that that makes it even better that yeah that, that makes it even better you know there's so many moments in this movie and you know I've written so many notes but I'm gonna just sort of like <laughs> dive through things. There's a licorice dispenser in Wayne's and Wayne and Garth's car. They just sort of like pull it and cut it. Cracks me up. Um, there is the whole like Laverne and Shirley interlude part where they're driving and they see some sort of town. And I guess it's the town where Laverne and Shirley took place. And they had this whole sequence where they do the, the, basically the entire Laverne and Shirley theme song. Schlamazel. Yeah, the whole yeah, the whole thing. And it, it's so funny. It just it really And it's be- really random. You know, like it's like of all the like possible things they could draw on, like it's such like a funny thing for those two characters to to jump to, you know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. And honestly, this whole Alice Cooper scene I don't think I knew who Alice Cooper was until this movie because I was young at the time. Yeah. And like I wasn't into that kind of music back then. But I was just like, wow, this guy must be a big deal if he's in this movie. He must be awesome. And like later on in life, I'm like, oh, wow, he is a big deal. He's pretty big. So then another cameo happens. Chris Farley appears as the security guard for Mr. Big, who I thought. Mr. Big was supposed to be, you know, Lauren Michaels as like this, you know, hard to get to guy and, you know, a really important executive sort of thing. And Chris Farley has like this unique amount of information about where Mr. Big will be, when and how. And he's like, wow, this security guard really had a lot of information for us. (laughs) I wonder why. That's so unique. So funny. It's funny, too, because I think this is another one you had referenced last week, which was also a Wayne's World 2 thing with the guys like um, stacking like my job is to stack melons and my job is to stack these chickens. What do these guys do? Well, they just carry that like plate glass window back and forth every few minutes. And then Wayne's like, wow, I wonder if this is going to come up later. You know, like, <laughs> yes, it's great. Yeah. So we get back to the TV studio. We go to record some spots with the arcade guy, which for the most part of the character is irrelevant to the story. It's just the catalyst for what happens next. So they're interviewing the arcade guy and Garth puts, not Garth, sorry, Wayne puts some sort of like jokes and making fun of him on the back of his flashcards and ultimately causes Wayne to get fired from the show, leaving Garth essentially on TV by himself frozen. And he just sort of sits there like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and 
And that's they play where... that eerie music. To the, like yes. the other guy that's like up in the booth, he's like, uh, <laughs> "What is the movie he references? Scanners." He's like, "You ever see Scanners?" Yes. That part where the guy's head blows up and it cuts back to Garth, like, uh. <laughs> "Yeah, it was such a great, great call." Yeah. So Wayne and Garth have a big fight. They have a falling out, um, and you know Wayne also starts really getting suspicious of people and. Goes sort of like a little off the rails, accuses Cassandra of cheating on him with Rob Lowe's character, which to this point I've forgotten what his character's name is in the movie. <laughs> I don't even know. I was like, he's just Rob Lowe. So yes, there you go. So Garth has this weird sort of sequence where he's essentially murdering donuts. <laughs> Mr. Donut Man. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is happening here? And again, it's another little level of Garth being this very interesting, unique character in this movie. And Wayne comes and apologizes to him and reconciles. And they have this funny sequence where they open a door and he goes, what's behind that door? And, and it's just like martial arts and <laughs> gunfights and and like spies and he goes i just wanted to have a door where i could open it and have uh, and there's like people being trained like they're in a james bond movie and i'm just like what? well yeah well so two what? things so, so one first of all even taking a step back i really like how that scene plays out the dynamic between the two of them because yeah. like it feels so perfect to like any time that like you and a good friend ever get into any kind of fight or whatever with each other. I feel like you and even I have had these moments in time where we've had a disagreement about something. And then like, like basically it's just like, you kind of like pop back and it's like buds, buds, you know, it's like, it's like, that's all it really takes with like a truly good friend. And I remember even like, you know, times with like friends when I was a kid where it was the same sort of thing. So like, it was like, like it was so nice because it's just like, it didn't have to be some like overt, like, I'm so sorry, I really yeah. screwed this up. Like, it's just like that perfect, like, anybody who's had, like, a truly good friendship would recognize that that's, like, you know, like, the way, that, like, two, like, yeah. friends would just come back together. Um, the thing with the James Bond movie is because he says, like, I need your help and your help to to get Cassandra back. Like, well, what are we going to do? We need a plan. And that's when he shows them the room yeah. of the guys. And it is. It's, like, it's pointless. But, like, it's just, like, it's, again, one of these just, like, zany, like, you know, weird things. Well, what's <laughs> so movie. funny about it is they had to, like, build some sort of a set piece. No, no, that's not actually there. That's, like, that's like film footage. And, um, I don't know about just, that. I don't know. I think that was probably – made for the movie the reason i know it's not is you it's a whole factory warehouse and that um set is a uh, the donut shop they said it was like an x bank or something like that oh, in real really? life where they shoot all that stuff like in in that place in the real world now that that's just something like there you can even see like if you like look at it like there's a difference in like how the film looks like it's honestly like, as if they like shot or, or pulled it from some other movie or something like all this uh, footage of that training going on. And then it's like, they're just like, I don't know if they're not doing like a rear projector or something, but I think they're just like putting that in in post basically. You're ruining the magic for me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're on the search to find Mr. Big and Garth is somehow like a genius. <laughs> and, and he's figuring out like, 
the the frequencies and he's doing all this math in his head and he's like processing all this information and he goes on this monologue of how to <laughs> how to find Mr. Big and he goes it's almost too easy. Well, yeah, and I love to throughout the whole thing. He's like, then, yeah. <laughs> like it's like the next step. Then, <laughs> this is so great. Yeah, it really is funny. And so now we cut to uh, Cassandra's filming the music video, and she's got this giant boa constrictor on her that she keeps saying, "I think the snake is asleep," and I'm like, <laughs> "It's a gigantic snake." And and she's just carrying it so nonchalant, like no big. T- I'd be peeing my pants. I'd be like, why is this thing on me? What is going on? Get this thing. Yeah, off and me. supposedly that snake weighed something like eighty pounds in real life. Oh so, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get to probably the favorite of most people's scenes in this movie is the T one thousand scene. So I love this because here's you and I. Last year, not quite this time of year, a little later in the year, talking about Robert Patrick and the T-1000 and how that character echoes through other movies and things, talking about Wayne's World. And now here we are at Wayne's World, (laughs) referring back to that same scene. So it's it's just very funny um, that I feel like this is one of the first times where we've kind of come full circle on on one of our earlier references. Yeah, Um, for sure. But uh, it, what is funny about it, and I think that I wasn't thinking about it at the time when you and I were chatting about it with Terminator. And I think we brought up that like there's that another great linking thing between you and I that like the little meme I made of like, have you seen this man child with your yes. face? But I like I wasn't even putting two and two that like it's not from Terminator. It's from Wayne's World. Yeah. Like <laughs> that doesn't exist in Terminator. It's only in this movie, <laughs> which is hilarious. And honestly, he plays the scene so perfectly and he even runs off camera chasing the car like in full Terminator mode, like. Like he was in it, and it was. So here's yeah. a cool thing: this scene was rewritten by a kid, um, and really? now I'm gonna probably forget exactly who the players are in this scenario. So please forgive me. But um, the original way that this scene was written was that he would pull him over and be like, "Sir, do you know that you were speeding?" And like, just kind of like approach it like that. Um, and like, uh, I think one of the either producers or somebody that was working on the set that day had their kid with them. Um, and the kid who had seen Terminator and everything was like, that's not how he would react. He would be looking for John Connor. And so they redid it to be like, have you seen this boy? And like, that's where you get the final scene. So wow. yeah, again, another kind of funny thing. <laughs> that is so, that's awesome. That's, that's even better. It's even better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we get to the, uh, back to the music video and you know, Wayne accuses Rob Lowe of, you know, lying and manipulating and cheating. And, and he goes, I don't even think there's any film in this camera. Yeah. <laughs> and what's so funny about it is the film reel just keeps yeah. pouring yeah. out <laughs> for for what feels like way longer than that role should have been. Yeah. But it's, it's so funny. And there's this whole, like, goofy monologue where he's like oh i never learned to read <laughs> and he's like crying and weeping and he's trying to reconnect with cassandra and they had this like 
you know, gratuitous like Oscar clip moment. Yeah, it's like like the for for your consideration sort yeah. of clip like that they used to do with the Oscar stuff. Yeah, and, and then she goes, "Is all of that true?" He goes, "Yes, all except for the learning to read part." <laughs> <laughs> And then she runs off with Wayne. Um, and basically what happens, though, is, like, she's – Wayne's getting in the car and he's, like – he feels like Well, yeah, she sends him away. Yeah. yeah. So she he, – he, like, feels like he's lost. She's standing right in front of Rob Lowe and the snake is sort of, like, creepily crawling around her. And she's like, is that you or the snake? And she sort of realizes, like, ew, this guy's gross. And then runs and goes back with Wayne. So um, now we get to the Mission Impossible music come on in this movie. Yeah. Like, there's so much music in this movie. Like, this movie is based around guys that love music. And they really went all in with the music, with getting anything they could from whistling Star Trek to hearing the Mission <laughs> Impossible soundtrack and so on. And, you know, basically, they're trying to break into the, the TV studio to hijack the signal. And Garth and his crew are there. Well, they're stealing equipment. They they have to try to steal, like, the extra equipment they need to, like, boost, to boost the, the signal, satellite yeah. signal. Yeah. For, for <laughs> and whatever, they have that yeah. great moment where he's, like, he falls. Like, they're all, like, doing, like, a crawl, like, gratuitous yes. crawl across the grass. He's like, guys, hold up. Fill on my keys. <laughs> like, then, like, of course, like, as a kid, I love that. So then, like, just goofing with friends, I'd be like, guys, wait up. Fill on my keys. <laughs> keys. Oh. And it's just so, oh, it's so funny. It really is hilarious. And then out of nowhere, Russell, the producer, catches him. And I'm like, why would he catch him? Why not a security guard? Why is this? <laughs> he just kind of lurkily hanging out there at night. And... And, you know, Garth sort of, like, talks to him and sort of breaks him down and convinces him that, you know, Rob Lowe's character is the bad guy and we're the good guys and and sort of just wins this guy over. And that's when I realized, like, Garth is really, like, the heart <laughs> of the story. He's, like, the moral compass of this film. And he pulls everybody together in all different directions. And it's so interesting to see that. Was so great too, as he like snatches the flashlight away from him and like pulls the end pulls off the batteries, the batteries out. out, as if it was like him unloading a gun or something. <laughs> We're good. We're good, guys. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> so good. And now Wayne's cop friend pulls over Rob Lowe, and you know, then he's gonna like, I'm gonna quote basically a totally different movie, but the same sort of thing is Beavis and Butthead do America. And he goes, it basically gives him a, a full cavity search. <laughs> <laughs> Talking rotor rooter here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So they've hacked Mr. Big's car feed. How they do this, again, it goes back to Garth being a genius and figuring out how to get the frequency and tapping into the car, knowing exactly where it was because... Chris Farley's character sort of gave him the information that came yeah, back he'd be later. passing through Chicago like on yeah. that night. <laughs> so, and it, it made me feel like before we see Mr. Big, I was like, 
I feel like Mike Myers wanted Lauren Michaels to play Mr. Big because it just felt like the way that they were talking about him, it just felt like that might be him. And then obviously it's not him. Yeah, well, but... I love to, like, because they're like, oh, Frankie Sharp, Sharp Records, Mr. Yeah. Big, and he's got like, yeah. the license plate that says, like, Big, yeah. and everything. And he's just like this, like, little guy. <laughs> yeah. And the limo makes this, like, wildly sharp turn and turns around and goes to you know, Wayne, Wayne's house. And so now we get to the endings of the movie and, you know, we end on, you know, Cassandra's band playing Frankie Sharp shows up and says, no, uh, I'm not going to sign you right now. Yada, yada, yada. Which is funny, by the way, like if you consider that this guy's driving through town and everything like that, that he would have his limo like do a 180 on the highway and head to their house just to tell her, no, it's not yeah. the time. Yeah. <laughs> Goes out of his way to tell him in person, nope, not the time. And then all of a sudden, like explosions and fire and all these yeah, things well, that he happen. He leaves him for, for Benjamin and like, yeah, like yeah. The, the house gets good caught on fire. <laughs> he like, comes carrying him out. <laughs> like, why? And Garth is dead in his arms. And yeah. things. Like, like, this is a terrible ending. And, and uh, to me, this felt like one of the first movies I've ever seen back then that did this sort of multiple ending, sort of a, a gag. Yeah. And then we do the Scooby-Doo ending. And, we pay it forward again to the old man in the amusement park. We reveal that he's the, you know, the Benjamin character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Which is so funny because it is, it's like it, they set that character up in like the first like 10 ish or so minutes yeah. of the movie at that scene with Ed O'Neill. Like, Oh, Hey, how's the uh, amusement park going? And, oh, you know, I've got stories or whatever he says. Like, I forget. Yeah. And then like, just bring him back for that one little thing. It's just so great. Yeah. It's so fantastic. And then they're like, let's do the mega happy ending. And, you know, Cassandra gets like a six album deal. Wayne and Garth, they don't even get their show back, though, if you think about it. Like, they sold the rights off to their show and they don't have it. But but still, everybody ends up happy. And, you know, they do this sort of like weird group gang conversational talking. <laughs> they, they, they all now break the fourth wall, talk to the camera and say that oh, they're thankful for and how they're happy and so on. And I'm just like, wow, this movie is really, really way ahead of its time. And it's The other funny thing, too, I have to point out about the way that they keep doing those multiple endings is that they could cut to anything because they keep, you know, um, flashing back to like to her still singing the song yeah. for each of the endings. But the best is that every single time it opens – on Benjamin getting out of the car and doing like that little like yes. walk because he's sore or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, it was like, it was like somebody in the editing room thought that that was hilarious the way he got out of that car and walked because it was so gratuitous. They did not need to keep showing him doing yeah. that, but that's what they kept cutting back to <laughs> every single time, which is so funny. And it's, it's perfect. It's so good. Cause you just know what the deal is. Oh man. I just have to say that I, loved that this movie was so self-aware it, it might be one of my favorite like self-aware movies that i can think of and then all of a sudden there's like this random post-credit scene for like a, a, a brief couple of seconds and then we're out but 
I gotta say, like, I could watch this movie over and over again. I forgot how funny this movie was. I truly loved it. It made me laugh out loud. My wife thought I was insane because I'm watching this movie, but I'm just like, it's just fantastic. She's like, you've seen this movie a million times. I'm like, but I haven't watched it in it's got to be a decade at this point. And it just, it was just so good and so funny that it, it just, it killed me. It really did. It is. You know, it's, it's really good. Um, if you are this far to the podcast and you have not figured out that we are both big fans of this, you got to go back and listen again. But <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it just, it hits all the nails on the head. Um, the funny thing is I was trying to think to myself, like now watching this movie after like a long time and like, you know, in, in the 30 year prism, like there's definitely some things that like I either misremembered or like I kind of didn't realize that they emphasize so much. And like one of the things that like, I guess like through like the, you know, 2020 sort of prism that's, you know, not working as much anymore is definitely like, they're like way gaga over women to like yeah. almost like a creepy point. You know what I mean? Um, but with that said, like the way that the characters approach it, like it's, it's like relatively like harmless and like the yeah. way that like the women are portraying it is like getting like a kick or a goof out of it or whatever. So like, it doesn't come off feeling too bad, but it definitely was like a little bit like, wow, I didn't remember this being like, this was such a driving thing for these characters. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's even more so even again in like the second film. And it was funny then going back and watching that, that like, it's definitely still not as good as the first one. Um, I know people have a lot more mixed opinions on that. Um, but overall still like another like good, like kind of fun to watch um, movie. Uh, with him getting Wayne stock together because like Jim Morrison or somebody comes to him and like, <laughs> like yeah. a dream and tells him he's what he's got to do with his life. But the weird thing I felt having, especially watched the two back to back is they really repeat a lot of the same gags in the, the same second tropes. movie. Yeah. And I think that's, but like some, like even past like tropes, like literally in some cases, the same gag, like over in the second movie. Oh, wow. And I almost wonder if that's why it doesn't work for people because relatively these two came out pretty quick after each other. Yeah. Um, Wayne's world is a Valentine's day release in 92. Wayne's world two is December 10th, 93. Hmm. So it's, it's, you know, like pretty close, like following each other. Um, and again, like they do some more fun stuff. Like I forgot all about like the, the little like Jurassic park scene in Wayne's world too. And they get like lost in the woods when they're driving to like see their venue and things. But um, this, they do like a lot more like timely stuff, but like there's still like other gags that just kind of like they fall flat. Cause they did like the exact same thing, like in hmm. the first movie. So I think that's another reason why it like maybe doesn't, hit the heights of, of the first, but both of them are very funny. Both of them, I think to one degree or another, stand the test of time, still very watchable, still very enjoyable. Um, and I'm just bummed that we kind of never got a third. <laughs> yeah. I would have loved to see a third. I think the third would have been a lot of fun, but um, no, I really enjoyed this movie. I was super pumped about it and I'm, I'm glad we got to watch it and talk about it. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad the polls were in our favor this month. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fixed poll. Yes. yes. <laughs> we rigged nothing. So yes. what do we have next month? All right. So next month we've got some really good stuff, <laughs> stuff that oh, I'm really? actually really excited about. So uh, Wayne's world's back in the number one spot. Obviously we won't do that again, but number two, three, and four are basic instinct, 
my cousin wow. Vinny, the lawnmower wow. man. And then past that, we have fried green tomatoes and stop or my mom will shoot again. So I'm oh thinking God. for our poll, basic instinct, my cousin Vinny and lawnmower man. <laughs> that sounds fair. That sounds fair. I would I would I would agree with that. I would approve that. I don't think lawnmower sure. man will get voted in. But like <laughs> that is a movie. That movie is probably like the first movie that as a kid I was like, this movie's so bad, it's good, and I like to make fun of it, like as a thing. It, so it's memorable to me for that reason. <laughs> if you want to hear a good commentary on it, go to check out the Paul Shear. How this, How get, this made, get made? Yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised that that's on there. <laughs> yeah, have you seen that? One more man. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I think there's also a Lawnmower Man 2, which I there might is. have seen as well. <laughs> yes. It's not at all what you would think. This yeah. Movie. But, but yeah, no, I mean, between Basic Instinct and My Cousin Vinny, holy cow, like that's those are two dynamite movies. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to this next month. And I, yes. I don't so I'll add that. those three to the poll uh, for the voters to get back to their voting thing, and I'll be happy to uh, to do any of these. Um for next month. <laughs> that sounds good, yeah. So next month, My Cousin Vinny, Basic Instinct, and The Lawnmower Man will be our movies to pick from. So, Pete, where can they find us? You can find us at Box Office 30 on Facebook and Twitter and Box Office T-H-I-R-T-Y on Instagram. And one other thing I'll quickly point out, um, and again, you can always find Michael over on the Wizards podcast um, but I also just did a recording with Jason and a few of the other guys from other shows on the retro network for a book of Boba Fett round table. It's out now. I highly suggest checking it out. We had a lot of fun recording it really dissected both Boba Fett and the Mandalorian. Um, so go give that a listen. Lots of fun. I haven't finished Boba Fett, but as soon as I finish it, then I will listen to the podcast. Yes, so it is spoiler. definitely spoiler heavy. So do not listen if you have not finished the show. So, if you want to hear any of our back episodes, you can also go you know, subscribe on our podcast on iTunes and Podbean and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can go to our website, boxoffice30.com, and check out all of our back episodes there, too. Or go to our Tee Public store and buy yourself something, if you want. <laughs> That'd be cool. Buy our stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, until next month... Thank you all so much for listening. I really enjoyed talking about Wayne's World. I know Pete did as well. And we'll see you in two weeks. Party on, Michael. Party on, Peter. Box Office 30. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.